Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. You are listening to On the Environment, a podcast series from the Yale Center for Environmental Law and Policy. For more information, visit the website at envirocenter.yale.edu. Hi, my name is Ivana Andrade, and I'm in the studio again today with Alexander Fabek, a Yale World Fellow this year. Alexander Fabek is currently a Strategic Policy Advisor on Global Issues at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in the Netherlands. And today we're discussing how he approaches environmental issues as a diplomat. Many of, our, of the environmental problems we face cannot be solved by one sector, and it's becoming increasingly clear that we need to find new ways of breaking down traditional institutional silos to come up with viable solutions. Alexander, you have advocated for an integrated approach in addressing issues surrounding water, energy, food, and climate globally. Can you explain what you mean by an integrated approach, and what are some small-scale examples of this working? Thank you for inviting me, Athana. An integrated approach is, is not something that I am preaching so much. It is what many people believe is an answer to the issues in on the environment that, that we are working on. Integrated, I mean, between the issues as well. So issues like climate change, but also how water, energy, and food should be treated in a nexus approach, uh, issues like resources and, and broader global environmental problems. Integration is also needed between all stakeholders. So it's not just governments that should solve this, or it's not just the industry, or uh, that we should leave it to civil society, but everybody, governments, business, civil society, academic think tanks, they should all join their forces because the challenges that we are facing on environmental issues at a global scale for this century are so huge. The only way that we can solve it is if we really all together work on these issues. How are organizations like the World Resources Institute implementing uh, integrated, integrated solutions? Well, I believe the World Resources Institute is an excellent example of how to work on these kind of global problems. Let me give you an example. For instance, there's the Global Forest Watch, where the World Resource Institute in Washington, which is seen year after year as the best think tank in the world on environmental issues, where they cooperate together with I believe some 40 different institutions like NASA and Google and all kinds of other um, companies and institutions that have something to offer to work on this combined project, Global Forest Watch, where every two weeks all the forests in the world are photographed and mapped through satellites and then compared to the situation two weeks before, which gives you detailed information, I think on every square meter in detail, if I'm not mistaken, about where deforestation takes place. So let's say the government in capital of a country that has huge rainforest on its, um, in, its, in its territory can now see every two weeks exactly where, let's say, a palm oil plantation has been cutting forests over the limits that it's allowed to and maybe has been cutting in a, a national forest or something, which they normally would know, you know, only years later when somebody was walking there and noticed this and then wrote a report back to capital. 
Now they can just, on their own computer, they can see every two weeks what has changed. This is typically one of those approaches that I believe is, is a good example where all sources of information that we have and all companies and institutions and governments, everybody that has something to offer, pulls together their information to tackle a worldwide global environmental problem. What about larger uh, corporations like Unilever? Should we be at all skeptical when large corporations make claims about being integrative in their approach? I think skeptical would be the worst approach we could take. Let's embrace those companies like Unilever, which is a really good example. Let's let's work together and 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 praise the companies that take steps to become more sustainable. Those companies that realize that it is not a trade-off between either environmental problems or the economy, but that they actually see that you can do something which is both good for the environment as well as for the company. Uh, Unilever has shown um, time and time again, but there's many other companies that are, and increasingly so, companies that show how much you can do by um, reducing the materials that you use, by reducing the energy that you use, that you actually create products that are therefore also, uh, they cost less money to produce, they produce less waste, which is normally also a burden on, 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 on the product that you produce. Um, so altogether, they are more environmental friendly, but they also are more efficient to produce. So this, there's a lot of, let's say, low-hanging fruit for many companies that you can, you can easily do. Um, simple things, let's say if you have a, a shop, certainly here in America, I see even on days where, when it's not hot, that the air conditioning is, is up so high. Uh, if you order a glass of water, it's full of ice cubes. Um, so much energy is wasted that is not necessary to waste. Put, put down that air conditioning. It's nicer for the customers. You don't send them out uh, because it gets too cold. And you save energy and it's better for the environment. And ultimately, it's better for your business. Your customers stay in and you have less cost on, on the energy that you're using. Of course, other models are much more complicated than the simple example that I give here. But I believe there's um, an enormous amount of activities that can be undertaken by all companies and institutions to be both environmental friendly and um, take as well the right decisions from, 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 from a business point of view. Speaking a little bit more to this uh, trade-off or perceived trade-off between environmental health and uh, business viability, the New Climate Economy, a project by the Global Commission on the Economy and Climate that you've highlighted or drawn attention to, has recently argued that action on climate change does not mean economic sacrifice. Considering the devastating role that Western consumerism has had on the global environment, do you think aggressive action on climate change really doesn't mean that we have to transform some of the underlying assumptions of our economy? I believe the economy has to be changed dramatically in from a fossil fuel-intensive economy that we have now into an economy that uses much less fossil fuels, 
um, an economy that is more efficient, so it uses less energy and also uh, uses much more other sources of, of energy, certainly solar and wind and other renewables is, is the first thing you would, would think of. And if you have to use fossil fuels, then try to use the ones that are least um, producing the least emissions. Um, but uh, on a uh, the the approach of 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 uh, the new climate economy and the report that they just uh, just came out with i think that is a very promising development where you see a committee with well respected people from from politics and from uh, the the ceos of of major multinationals and and leading people from from institutions like like OECD and other international financial and energy institutions, when they pull all their knowledge together and they come out with a report saying, well, there's not a a a trade-off between either climate or economy, but you can you can actually do both or at least for uh, little or no cost uh, to the economy, uh, depending on what aspect you look at. Um, that has to be taken serious by everybody. Um, if I get the numbers right, I don't have them here in front of me, but I believe they talk about um, investments that are predicted to be 90 trillion in the next, I think, 20 or 30 years that will be made in the world economy. These are investments in uh, energy grids, in, in cities, in infrastructure. We can make those investments only once, so you have to make the right investments. You have to think now, how can you make those investments in a way that is uh, as efficiently as possible for uh, looking for the point of view of emissions and um, uh, but are also giving us exactly what we want to have. Let's say, take for instance, uh, building of cities. If, if you look at the average city here in America, uh, maybe not so much on where we are here in New Haven, but if you take a city uh, somewhere in the Midwest or, or anywhere else in America, all the buildings are so much spread out. I recently was in, in, in a hotel in America and I had to buy some toothpaste. I had to take the car to buy some toothpaste. If I'm somewhere in a European city, we've built so much more com compact and we've put... Um, the different functions of a city, the working and the living and shopping and, and other things you would like to do in a city, we've put it so much closer together. You just walk out of your hotel and within 200 meters there's a shop where you can buy some toothpaste. So it's about how are we going to build cities, how are we going to build new infrastructure that we will need so much of in this world where the population will grow with another 2 billion between now and, and 2050, and where the middle class will double in the next 20 years or so. So lots of investment have to be made, and let's make them wisely, because we can make them only once. How has your government, how has the, the Dutch government, approached this issue of integrated environmental problem solving within its own borders? We do this already for centuries. The Netherlands is a delta where the big rivers of Europe come together. And we're actually a large part of the Netherlands, about half of the Netherlands, is below sea level. Um, we need government and we need cooperation between everybody to make the country a livable place. We have, for centuries, we've built dikes and pumped out the water. So we created land for ourselves to live in. And that is the only way that 
that we could work on these environmental challenges. The alternative would be that everybody would build a small hill and put his house on top in trying to keep their feet dry, which would be most, much more expensive and which would also be much more risky as soon as there's a flooding or as soon as there's a huge storm. So cooperation on environmental matters is, so to say, in, in, in our blood in the Netherlands. We use that approach now also for dealing with all kinds of other environmental matters. And on quite a few things we've been quite successful. If you think about uh, the NOx and the SOx, as they are called, that produced in the 1980s, um, the, the, the dying forest because of acid rain, it's a problem that was huge in, in the 1980s. You don't hear about it anymore. And whereas some climate deniers sometimes give that as an example that you therefore don't have to take action of climate change. In uh, reality, it's the other way around. It is because we took action, not only in the Netherlands, but many countries together, that we effectively managed to tackle this problem. Now we have a much bigger challenge, and that's something that my government is working on, and that uh, many, many governments in the world are now all cooperating on, because they all realize that the only way to solve these problems is by finding a, a, a common solution. But this is very, very difficult. There's um, all kinds of... Um, we, we have different countries with different histories, with a different um, contribution to the production of CO2 in historic times that we have now, with different impact of climate change. So with all these different countries to work out a deal that's ultimately good for all of us, because we will all be impacted uh, by climate change, is a very, very difficult diplomatic task that gets at the very highest attention, uh, at the fi- very highest level attention at the moment. Reflecting for a moment on your time here as a Yale World Fellow, what are some of the highlights of your experience so far, and what are some of the things you'll be taking back with you to the Netherlands when you return in December? That's probably too much to mention in this mm-hmm. podcast. Let me see where I should start. First of all, I'm so impressed with the way uh, this university works, how um, the the liberal arts approach um, works, where students follow all kinds of different subjects, where there is also so much more interaction between students and, and, and the professors. Um, I'm impressed by the research that's taking place here uh, I've seen amazingly new technological advances that are that are developed here um, I uh, think also the interaction between different faculties within the university is impressive to give you one example um, I was yesterday at the advisory board meeting of the Center for Business and Environment at Yale where both the School of Management and the School for Forestry and Environment have for years already cooperated in combining their strengths. Um, students from both schools, they just follow classes on both sides. They do projects where they integrate business and environment. And that is typically, if you think about the issues we were just speaking about in your in your previous questions, that's typically the kind of solutions that we will need to find in this century where you get business involved on environmental issues, um, but also in a way that you can can actually have a sustainable way 
of doing business. And I found such an active, creative community working on, on these issues. For me, it's been fascinating to see it and, and a, a really, really enjoyable time as well, meeting so many motivated people, so many creative minds all working together. It's just a fantastic time to be here. Well, I know you've added uh, a dynamic of your own that we, we really appreciate. It's, it's great to have you here on campus. Hmm. As Thank a you. final question... What have been some of your greatest sources of inspiration or clarity in dealing with these increasingly complex social and environmental problems? There, I would also like to start with saying there's there's so many to 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 mention. Um, I see uh, we just mentioned mentioned the World Resource Institute. I think they are the think tanks like like these also. But there's also let's say Adelphi in in uh, Berlin doing fantastic work or. The Stockholm Environmental Institute, or if you look more at water, let's say the the the, the, the CV in in Stockholm as well. Um, I can mention so many examples of brilliant think tanks that manage to combine um, all this knowledge and come out with with workable solutions. Um, I'm inspired as well by companies that are actively working on moving to a more sustainable economy and taking great initiatives and showing that it's it's possible that we can actually move into a different kind of economy. I'm inspired by students that come up with brilliant ideas on how we can do things faster, more efficient, uh, and using less, uh, less energy and uh, producing less waste. Um, and I see uh, governments trying to stimulate these things. If I look at what my government is doing, both on the side of development assistance, um, but also in on the diplomatic front, as well as in in uh, working with these think tanks, um, and I see many other governments also working on these issues. I believe that the group of people in the world being aware of these global environmental change is rapidly growing and finding each other and working together to get to solutions. Well, on that note, I think we'll conclude our podcast today. Thank you so much, Alexander. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Havana.